You're a 17-year-old guy. You're off to Sydney. You're working in some crazy good Italian restaurants. You're finding this passion, this love for cooking. You're putting all your time and energy into this basket of amazing learning experiences. You take off to Melbourne. You're doing the same. You're working, working, working. You're loving it. You're working. You head over to Europe. You're working, you're working, you're working. And then it's getting on top of you, getting on top of you, the expectations of the hospitality industry, the pressure you put on yourself, and then you hit rock bottom. Today, we're talking to Mel Mears, and we talk about his journey when he hit rock bottom, how he turned it around, and the challenges that he still faces. He is a fantastic guy, and this is a great story, happiness, tears, all sorts of things. So sit back, relax. Mel Mears, episode number 51. And as always, it's brought to you by Chef Notepad. These guys are crazy good and actually help people uh, like Mel organize things to make things a little bit easier by organizing recipes and costing menus and all that sort of thing. So once again, a great tool that, that you should try out, everybody. So Chef Notepad, check that one out. And also Suncoast Fresh Ordering app, making life easy for everyone as well with all your online ordering and you can set up pantry lists so that it is easy peasy ordering easy hey i should keep that all the time that's cool uh yeah sit back episode number 51 mal mears he's a cracking good guy and this is an amazing story enjoy are we right to go scarlet we're right to go mel mears looks like myers but mel mears welcome to the broadcast what's going on what are you up to right now uh, right now we're getting ready to fire up the uh, the pop-ups again. Um, so me and Kate, my wife, have just um, – we've uh, teamed up with Tabitha Thompson and we're doing Any Given Sunday. So that's kicking off this Sunday at Botero House in the city. Cool. Um, and we just did a big bake-off for Lifeline with Jocelyn's last week. So that was pretty hectic. You love baking, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's um let's dive back because I, I will talk about the pop ups and what inspired those. But um, tell me what's your what was your first sort of memory of cooking? What what, what sort of got you inspired to getting into this, this this kitchen, this hot place? Um, well, my first memory of food that I can remember back, which didn't inspire anything, but um, was working in my mum and dad's fish and chip shop when I was like ten. Like thinking in hindsight about like a food memory. Um, giving them a hand when like they were going down, <laughs> being like a 10 year old uh, kid, just cooking the burgers. And yep. I just remember vividly, I would probably burn more buns than I would cook properly. And then, <laughs> you know, be sending out a burger, a beef burger with like two lids yep. or, or two bottoms. And then mum oh, and dad yeah. getting a phone call saying, is Malcolm cooking the burgers again? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, my my journey into cooking, I just I completely fell into it. Yeah, I was right. supposed to be a veterinarian, and then ah. figured out that I couldn't stay conscious in an operating theater, yes. um, which is not great for a veterinarian. Yeah, <laughs> uh, actually, uh, Scarlett's uh, brother is the same. He's a uh, pharmacist now because he can't handle the he operation. Sorry, Jared. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah, and then I mean, after high school and stuff, I sort of was at a loss, and then started. You know, what experience I did have was a bit of like hotel stuff. So I moved to Sydney to do hotel school and then, yeah, I ended up landing a job as a kitchen hand and just sort of evolved from there. I caught the bug and, you know, um, I had quite a 
in terms of culinary sense, like quite a modest upbringing, you know, meat and three veg or whatever. And then, yeah, going to Sydney and then being amongst all these diverse different cultures, just it just showed me what was out there. And I just became, I think if I didn't have that upbringing, then I wouldn't have been so hungry to, to seek out and learn about all these different things. Where'd you work down there? Um, I started off in a little pub called the Courthouse, well, not a little one, it's massive, but um, called the Courthouse Hotel. So it was a little bar up there. I worked with um, an Italian guy and he, we, you know, we were making gnocchi just from scratch, like pastas, all that sort of stuff. So, and I was just like blown away. Like I didn't know you could do these things with a potato. <laughs> <laughs> so for you, it was chips from the fish and chips. Yeah, yeah, that, but that's it. I was like, oh, you can do more than chips. Wow. <laughs> So where did you end up going from there? I know you went overseas, but that was a bit later on. How did how did you get how did you get where else did you go around Sydney? Um, I started after working with Frankie at a little trattoria because I fell in love with Italian cooking, obviously. And then I spent probably the next five years just doing heavily Italian, and then it morphed into French. So I did um, like El Galozzo was like a little trattoria in Haverfield and like Little Italy. Um, and then I stepped up because I sort of, I wanted to learn the finer side of things. And then I spent a bit of time at, um, Pendolino, which at the time was like best new, I think best new Italian and got like a hat or something the first year. Mm. And they were like one of the first people to bring out one of the, those specialized drying chambers for, um, for pasta. So they had a guy come out, especially build it. Um, and then, yeah, they were just, they were doing it all properly like really were you doing bread back then or not no 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 bread yep no no not at that stage i was eating plenty of sandwiches but (laughs) so tell me about some actually just quickly dive back into some of those amazing italian dishes that you're cooking like the gnocchi you said but any else that stand out like you know it might have been as simple as a zucotta cake or a crumb cauliflower or a vitello tonato or something but oh i mean there's there's so many like beautiful food memories from my time in Sydney. So at Pendolino, the, um, there was like a white rocks veal ragu, um, that was like braised down and it had like, it was this beautiful, like, uh, pappardelle, like really thin ribbons of pasta. And then on the side we had, um, bone marrow that we poked out and then crumbed and served like this fried bit of bone marrow on the side, which was like super lush. Um, and then, yeah, the, um, when I was in Haverfield, there was this beautiful patisserie, like Papa's Pastoria. Um, yeah, the cannolis, the ricotta cake, the bomboloni, so the donuts. Oh. I mean, I probably should have been more of an 80 kilo, 17, 18 yeah, year yeah, old. Yeah, that was but... my next question. What's going on with that? You weigh about 75 kilos. Uh, yeah, I'm lucky, yeah. <laughs> wow. That is just cheating the system, I think. Yeah. So you must have been working hard down there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. big hours, all the rest that happens in the game? Yeah, big hours. I mean, and then... You know, I, I was a young kid that was living away from home um, and, you know, I found something that I was good at, something that really clicked with me. So I just threw everything at it mm. and I just was so hungry for knowledge. And, mm. um, yeah, I just wanted to know as much as I could about everything, you know, doing as much work as I could, trying to upskill myself. Yeah, so. that's a good thing to do. Yeah. So so how long till did you work anywhere else before you ended up going overseas? Like, or did uh, you, you, you went overseas for nine months or something? I went, went. I did a couple of stints overseas. Okay. So, I mean, I've moved around quite a lot. So I did a stint in Melbourne um, before I went overseas. So I worked at Bistro Guillaume, um, which is like Guillaume's new new flashy Melbourne restaurant, which was 
like a massive learning curve. We went from cooking like pastas and, you know, meats over grills, to like cooking everything old school French in a pan, like heaps of butter, heaps of caramelization, no dockets, trying to memorize five different steaks, all the cuisons, all by memory. It was just, yeah. Even just like learning the cooking side of things was a steep curve. And then you're thinking that you've got to like, you know, you might have like 60 steaks on it. You've got to try and <laughs> keep the tabs of all of them. And it was just, yeah. Oh, that, that is an amazing thing that chefs actually can do is that, that it is a memory training thing, isn't it? Like, I don't even know mm. how it works, but I yeah, seem to I mean, be able to remember lots. It did so, take a while to get to that stage. Yeah. It wasn't an overnight thing. There was definitely plenty of times I got told to... Do pay that. more attention yeah. <laughs> and i was well i'm trying <laughs> you also want the steaks cooked properly so <laughs> um but yeah so i did a bit of time there and then um i worked at another italian restaurant with uh the head chef that was from pendolino they moved down vast so he was one of my like my second head chef but one that really stuck with me mm. during my career and then i decided to make the move to go um do my rider passive passage as a as an Aussie chef. So um, to do a bit of time in London. As you uh, do. How, how old were you then? Uh, I think I was around twenty four. Okay. So yeah, I'd not. I think I just finished my apprenticeship when I moved to Melbourne, and then I was probably in Melbourne for maybe eighteen months or two years. So yeah, mm. it was still pretty pretty fresh. I thought I knew a lot, and then yeah, I spent a spent a lot of time trying to figure out which restaurant was the best. That for, for me and for what I wanted and I ended up settling um, after doing you know like plenty of trials and stuff at like the Ledbury and stuff I thought I'd take my chances at the square I had a, some friends that said it was really good there and stuff and it was very good and I probably owe that six months of my career like pretty much all of like a lot of ability to adapt and like a lot of skills but it was probably the hardest six months of my life yeah right big hours big hours yeah the lots of expectations lots of expectations like just it almost felt like you could never achieve it like militant you know the screaming you know that stereotypical thing but yeah which is rampant for many years yeah yeah so i mean but at, at the time it you know the way it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's like military, isn't it? And that's how the chef tables actually was designed off. You know, you get your, yeah. your executive head chef, your um, um, head chef, sous chefs. That whole thing is actually designed off military, I think I learned at trade school. Did yeah. you actually go to trade school and become a chef or you were one of these amazing people that didn't go to trade school? No, I, I like I've always wanted to do things, I mean, properly. In hindsight, I probably wouldn't have. Mm. I would have just thrown more time into it. But, mm. I mean, I feel like the apprenticeship scheme, when I was doing it, like doing the one day a week was quite good. Mm. You learn a little bit of the theory to, to piece things together in your day-to-day. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I mean, when I was training, there was never really that much focus on giving the why. Mm. It was just sort of this is what you have to do mm. um, because that's what basically that's what we want. That's what we expect. Mm. We're going to teach you how to do it. But then what I found in my, the way I try and run myself now is that if I don't empower the people to understand why, then they don't know exactly what they're doing. So Mm. then there's room for them to make a mistake. Mm. So I almost go too far in explaining every little thing. That way they understand it. And then when it comes back that they haven't done it right, I can then say to them, well, 
why why have yeah. you not done this? You throw why straight back at them. Well, that's it. Well, yeah. I mean, because they they understand the process start to finish, and I think that's where a lot of chefs fall over is that they they give someone a recipe, and then they don't really explain it that well. I think the ability to train as a chef is completely lacking. It's just mm. sort of you just you learn how to be a good chef, and then you're a manager, but then you're not really a a great Leader? teacher or leader yeah. yeah you're a good cook yeah but it doesn't mean you're a good leader yeah and then you're just Same you know that's leader. where you get those little frustrations and all that sort of stuff and like it's, it's the hardest thing is teaching someone how to do it like yeah so i would agree with you wholeheartedly and i think that that might be the key to the whole thing we're talking about today because if you that pressure then comes if you you sort of know how to cook but you're not you're unable to inspire and lead and and explain why and motivate in a proper healthy environment that can be that can turn to disastrous and i feel like a lot of the industry is a lot like that with pressures on wages and all the things that actually happen to you know the, the owners or whatever restaurants are putting the pressure back all the way down onto the kitchen and yeah and totally. it's combined with that culture of um come on you got to do a few hours because you're an artist and you've got to learn things yeah. which i understand as well and, and like you said when you're very young you, you, you can get into that but um, tell me back, let's go back overseas. You're working really hard over there and you said that it felt a little unachievable. Um, tell me some of the good stuff over there. Um, I mean, being in London, you know, you can go pretty much anywhere in Europe, mm. like for quite reasonable if you're organised. Not, not at the moment, okay. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. Not, I mean, hello, not London anymore. Hello, people. Hello, London. <laughs> yeah. But we, I mean, we're all going to the beach on the weekend. <laughs> 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 the um the four day weekend in Berlin, you know that sort of stuff was oh, like yeah. really great. Yeah. <laughs> and I did manage to. I spent twelve months um on the Channel Islands, which are the small islands between England and France, which is a very very mild place to spend winter. It's sort of just like Melbourne, mm-hmm. but just that sort of, you know, like the produce there was amazing. Like you know, you're getting tomatoes from France. You're getting like beautiful scallops. These big crabs, like has its logistical problems, sort of like that Tassie sort of vibe. Mm. I mean, I was listening to your podcast with Dave the other day and like mm. that sort of idyllic picture that's painted with what Tassie is and then like no one sees the like the work that's needed as well to achieve it. Yeah. So it's the same sort of vibe, but I mean, we would be lucky enough to have fishermen rock up with, you know, the big place and like crabs and, you know, freshly shucked scallops and stuff that, mm. you, you know, he's just literally got his boat at the back door of the hotel and you're just like, well, you know, does it get any better than this? Mm. I that forgot was to tell you, Scar's going to take some photos. <laughs> get the Suncoast logo in the background. <laughs> yeah. Come Where's my here. shirt? <laughs> yeah. You can get one before we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do we have a shirt and a hat that yeah, I should yeah, be wearing? You definitely have a shirt. We'll give you a shirt before we go. <laughs> you want a green one? Yeah. Probably a green one. Yeah, green yeah. green's good. You wear black to work in weird on day off. Um... Yeah, so that is amazing. Yeah, the produce is something. Something about when you're traveling as well that everything seems to taste better. And I mean, Tassie does have that amazing food thing. And yeah, there's a lot of logistics in, in getting it. And and then there's a the pressure of um, you know what people are putting on Instagram. Is that really real? And is it hard? But yeah, when you go over there, it is um, you know down to Tassie for me. 
the food is just amazing. And um, unless you get caught on some tourist trap through Italy or somewhere and you get off the beaten track and you can actually find, you know, <laughs> the little places, the, the real the real food that, you know, you didn't even think you were going to have a great meal that night and then you do. I guess that was my experience. So there must have been loads of that there. If you're there for 12 months, you must have found some gems. Yeah. And then even with like the... Like the, when we started doing the pop-ups um, and then we got invited over to France, like we just pretty much shopped at the markets, like the local markets I'd spend, you know, one of my days off would be just going to the markets and just seeing what was there and plotting it. And, you know, you've just got the most amazing produce. Like mm. we were there in the, the height of the height of spring. So you've got all the beautiful asparagus, um, like the tomatoes. We're getting, um, you know, flowering sage, Mm. um just and i mean even just wandering around that that stage there was like elderflower everywhere so we were at one spot for three months and we got basically the whole expression of elderflower so initially the beautiful blossoms then like elderflower there is like it's another level i've never tasted elderflower the same but we're you know we're making vinegar and champagne and then you get the berries like the green ones so we're fermenting those turning them into capers and then putting those in the vinegar that we made with the blossoms, just going, you know, full, like probably a bit too much time on my hands. Mm. Um, and, you know, then you're getting the berries. It's just like amazing to see that sort of stuff. And it's just everywhere, like wild figs, like like we're using poppies, like, yeah, crazy. Well, <laughs> we're not doing that in Brisbane, are we? No, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it's a little bit hard. I mean, the little country town of Arles in the south of France is very different like it's very beautiful like I think we'd oh I mean it's not that hard to do that if, but I just don't think you get the same stuff growing on Mount Kutha <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a little bit shaly isn't it as beautiful as Brisbane is and the great producers we have uh, sometimes it's all a little hard to coordinate but you do get lucky and I think eating in season uh, here and uh, everywhere is super important. I think that's what they do do well in, in Europe is they really celebrate the seasons. And I think there's sort of a weird pressure on um, um, not not necessarily the top end restaurants, but the, you know generally that you know you've got to have. You know, I have people order asparagus all year round, and half you know yeah. half the year at least it's it's definitely imported. So you know, well, I, I like man, don't do that. And the, and the reps are out there trying to guide the people into, hey, let's not do that. Let's do that. And, and there's really only the good people that we, you know, chasing us go, okay, should I be doing this or should I not be doing that? So, uh, yeah, inspiring trip overseas. Any funny stories from over there? Um, I mean, probably the most memorable thing was I had a really massive week. We had like there was a bullfight in town and um, I was absolutely destroyed after doing stupid numbers and I went out for a run because I had like nothing left like none of these like pretty things like for little garnishes and then um I thought the girls were having like a massive dig at me um so I've come back from my run I'm all fresh got like one service to go and then they've told me like Pierre Garnier's in for dinner um and he's like one of the godfathers of French cooking wow so I'm sitting here going oh yeah right no worries girls like <laughs> they're like no 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 we're serious and I'm just like what do you mean Pierre Garnier's in? It's like, <laughs> like, far out. Like, I was like, are you kidding? Like, and it's just that, that sort of thing. It's like being in like, like the smallest town in like in France. And then you've got like this person who walks in who you would never think that you would ever get to cook for in your life. And it's just like, this is some of the joys that like this, you know, can give you, give wow. you as a chef. Like, 
What do you have? Uh, well, we were just doing set menu at that stage. But he, you know, he came in and said thank you and everything and tried to have a conversation with me. My French wasn't that great because I'd only been there for two weeks. <laughs> G'day, mate. Yeah. Well, and like... From we, Brizzy. I try. Yeah. I try. Yeah. How's it going? <laughs> Do you want a 4X? <laughs> um, and yeah, like the French that I did learn, I turn, it turns out that it's really like proper. It's, yeah. So you, I would try and have conversations with people and they're just like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. you know, and they're just like, you sound like you're, it was like aristocratic French. It's like, no one talks like that. It's like, if you want to say hello, you just say like, ça va? Like pretty much ça va in French is everything that you could possibly mm. want to say. So now we learn French already. Ça yeah, ça va. <laughs> like you just like, how are you? Like, it's like ça va. Like, it's just like anything. <laughs> what would you like to water? Uh, ça va. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you like to smoke? Yeah. Uh, can you have a one ça va? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah, you can literally describe any emotion. Like, <laughs> Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, that must have been a load of fun. Now, you came back, started the pop-up thing, or what happened next? So, um, after coming back from London, I sort of just, I did a few things. Like, um, I just worked at a couple of places, and then I met um, Pete from Ide, so it was Attica at that stage. And then he was starting to do his pop-up, so I did the first one with him, and then sort of didn't ever leave him until he opened up Bricks and Mortar. On that stage, I was starting to do my own thing. You've got some pretty well-connected mates, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, like or, or these... do they have well-connected mates in you? No, no, not at all. I mean, it's, it's like they're, they're these amazing people that are, and they're just, like, they're just like the boys. Like, mm. you know, Pete's one of my best mates. Like, yeah, yeah. he just happens to be probably one of the greatest influences of my career. Yeah. Like, and, you know, people like Troy Cusante down in Sydney, it's just like, they're just he's just like one of the boys it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just amazing because you just you can have these deep conversations that have nothing to do with food and then next minute you're just like you're both snowballing each other with like these great ideas or you know supporting each other through things yeah so, nice. so when did you meet your beautiful partner kate wife kate, yeah wife yep yeah wife um we met at tonka um probably what six seven years ago i'll probably get killed when i get home so <laughs> <laughs> you got to sunday to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's it yeah, yeah. uh yeah um yeah so i sort of was i took a job at tonka and i had never really eaten indian food at that stage of my career um walked in getting told that i would just have to do the grill because i was known as a meat chef i could yeah yeah you know i have an affinity with fire and cooking meat yeah all that sort of stuff I said, you know, I can do that. I just probably curries is not my strong suit. And they're like, oh, we don't have to worry about it. You just have to cook things. It's like I walked in and on my trial, there was four curries on the grill section. <laughs> so I sort of fell in love with that instantly because it was like being an apprentice again. Nice. Um, so then, yeah, I really took to trying to learn as much as that. And then I was obviously like a loud, boisterous chef. And then, yeah, she tried not to take notice of that and then just sort of it was weird we um we started a conversation over i was peeling boulevard prawns and she's like oh jesus they used to be so much bigger when i was a kid and i was like oh how would you know like hmm. she's like oh i grew up on the coast and it was just sort of from that conversation it was just that's when we sort of became in each other's periphery and then it was talking about ice vovos <laughs> <laughs> comparing these things and then just sort of you know, her with her um, wine experience, like I've never 
really ever heard anyone speak uh, and be able to describe wine in the way that she does. It's just like she's just another level. So um, I obviously became completely infatuated with wine after that, <laughs> just so I could spend more time with her. Um, nice. And yeah, and then we, um, I mean, that's sort of how the pop-ups ended up coming to be because we would spend our Sundays, um, you know, we'd go to the markets and I'd say, this is what I'm going to cook. And then we'd go to the bottle shop, get a couple of bottles of wine, see how it went together. And then we just spend the, the Sunday drinking and cooking. Um, and then, you know, she would give me bottles of wine sometimes and I'd have to work backwards. Um, and then we'd invite people over and then. They're like, like, oh, like, you should do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> should do this for a thing. And then, so the pop-up thing, that's where it was born? Yeah. So I can much. see you getting up first thing in the morning going, okay, for the pop-up, we're going to need plates. I've got some clay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to make the plates. What are you doing? We need to start prepping the food. I've got to make the plates. Yeah. Is that how you got into the, the pottery? Um, no. No, that's not how you got into the pottery. No. You did tell me that. Let's come back to that. So pottery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We do jump around, this, kids. This, this is the thing. Like we'll be here all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to keep me focused. Okay, and you have to keep me focused. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, right, right. it's on you, Scarlett. Okay, now let's get this story right. Okay, so you started in Mel. Uh, you started in um, uh, born on the sunny coast, raised up there. You went down to Sydney. You did a stint in Melbourne. You went overseas. You had some amazing experiences there. You cooked for these famous French people. Everything that you say in French, the word is. Ça va. Ça va. Uh, so we're up to that stage. Uh, you come back and you've met this beautiful woman, Kate. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. So and just so- before that, it was sort of, um, yeah, I was going through like a bit of a rough trot, which we'll probably touch on a little bit later. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the pottery sort of thing was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to jump around just yet. We'll <laughs> stick with the one in front of me. Yeah. Um, right. oh, what I want to get to is when did you go to Franklin? When was that? That was after France. So right, Okay. Initially, it was like London, and then I came back. And Were you with Kate then? In uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So, so that would have been amazing for the wine and yeah. the wonderful things down there because I, I, I just spent a couple of weeks down there in January or February or something, and and honestly, it blew my mind. I'm, I thought I knew about wine. When I got home, my house looked like boxes of wine. <laughs> so all this wine had arrived, and yeah, I, I, that must have been amazing for you too. Yeah, I mean, like that was the thing. We when we got sort of. Uh, they reached out to us to come back because I think Luke Burgess had said that we, you know, they needed a chef and a front of house person. So that was really nice of him. And then they reached out and we just threw everything at it. Like literally two weeks later, we were, you know, had a car full of shit that was on the uh, ferry and we were on our way just because we knew, we. I think we'd, we'd spent like a month down there driving around and we just knew the potential of what was what was mm. around we did like woofing down there for a month so it's like where you go and you work on properties and stuff uh in return for like they put you up and feed you and stuff and they feed you yeah do they know about you? yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> that somehow became one of the jobs <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh you're a chef okay so you don't have to work in the garden today but <laughs> yeah, we expect three there. courses <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yeah wow um okay so life sounds pretty rosy yeah well, it is now, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the, 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 the more difficult times that you experienced and, and how did you get to, you know, how did you get, how'd you get down? Um, I think, well, what I touched on earlier, like when I figured out that, like, you know, I had, I never would say that I'm a good chef, but I have an affinity for cooking. Like um, when I found out I was good at something, I just threw everything at it. Um, and... 
I think while you're young, you've got a certain amount of retention. Like you can just sort of burn the candle at both ends. But over time, it does catch up with you. Um, and yeah, I think there's been a couple of points in my life where I have not realized till it's been really, really too late. And um, there was just one point in my life where I just sort of was, I was not fulfilled in like in most facets of my life. Like, um, like my relationship wasn't um, going that well. Um, it was no one's fault. Like we just, I don't think we like fit. And then my work life wasn't very satisfactory. And I just sort of was like, just smashing myself against the wall. I was not happy and just like drinking heaps and then just like working too much and just nothing sort of fit. And then I find it's just when you, when you don't allow yourself enough time to recover, it's like the filling of the cup thing. If you have five days, then if you're working on those other days, that's when your cup's getting depleted. And then maybe, you know, you work on a Monday and you've got to do Tuesday to Saturday by Friday because you've worked that Monday and maybe only had Sunday off. By the time you hit Thursday, you're sort of, you're in the negative. Mm. And then those days become really hard and then it sort of compounds. And then over time, that's what happened. I was just in like a really bad way and I couldn't see my my way out. So, so you're saying pretty much the whole time you were just depleting this cup over years? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was a certain point that it was like, you know, running on adrenaline and like learning and all that sort of stuff. And then it became like, I think there was a little bit of like reliance because like, you know, I was the guy who would just get things done. Mm. Like, you know, if you needed something a bit extra. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've know. got a couple of them, Glenn, Ben. Yeah, you know, yeah. people that put in 110. Yeah, yeah. But then sometimes you get like an employer that might be like, push for that 115 or, yeah, you know, or not maybe not realize that like they're asking the same person to pick up slack all the time yeah because it's just like they're caught up in this what age did you realize or did you have a crash what happened um it was probably i think 2000 and maybe seven years ago so what am i now 35 this year so yeah 27 i think for those who haven't seen Mally, it looks like he's about 24. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I would say that's the drinking. <laughs> I'm preserved. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, but, yeah, I think. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not doing it good enough. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe it's too much Pinot Grigio. <laughs> yeah, yes, okay. Well, that's probably it. So tell me, mate, because you're obviously, yeah, yeah. What was your lowest point? How did you get to this? Um, you know, because you do these wonderful food for thought dinners, and you know, what, what? How do I ask this question, Scarlett? No. I think how, what's how important you, is how did you overcome this? I think that's really what's important. You've clearly had a crash. You've clearly, you know, you felt a certain way, and you've got to a really dark place. And I think, you know. I commend you for speaking out about this as well, which you have done for years. I think it's it's inspirational and admirable. Um, but I guess it's how you had your support of your best friend. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, Tell, yeah. yeah. When I hit my lowest point, it was just sort of, you know, you're contemplating everything. And I was probably as close as you could get to taking my own life. And I think... I, you know, I've told this story many times, but I just, I reached out um, and then luckily my best friend answered the phone that morning when like, you know, 
nine times out of 10, his phone would have been off or whatever. Um, and then from there, I think it was just sort of that belief that I'd breached out. Mm. Um, and then um, I sort of started to, I started to unravel and I sort of, you know, cause I, I just couldn't see out of it. I just didn't, not that I didn't think anyone cared, but I couldn't see the people that cared. Mm. Couldn't see that there was, there was, you know, options for help. Like it was so all consuming that like I was in this bad space. So right now you're holding up your hands around your, your head and, and it does get like that. You sort yeah. of become like you're, you lose your, you lose your vision of peripheral and it just comes into this little tunnel and all of a sudden you feel like you're on your own. Is that me helping yeah. you explain that? Yeah, totally. And, and you I, get to the bottom of the earth, you reached out to a mate. And then, yeah, I mean, as, a, as part of my like time to get better and, you know, I just... I became more comfortable talking with that about it because I, you know, I think, you know, you struggle and you're like, oh, like maybe, maybe I need to talk to somebody. And then your head, you know, your head's telling you all these things that aren't really there. And then, you know, like you will get treated differently. You can't take mm. time off, you know, mm. they'll look at you funny. Like they'll think you're crazy. Like mm. all of these sort of things. So you just, you, you know, the blinders go back up and you just put yourself into these coping mechanisms, whatever it is. It's well, different. Yeah, that's it. Can't handle things like you know. Like I don't want to be treated differently. Yeah. That was my biggest thing. I didn't want yeah. to be treated differently. Like, mm. Just because I needed a little bit of extra space, like mm. maybe a little bit of extra support. Um, well, so you were down in the dumps, and you were in a really dark space. Tell me about that a little bit, and then tell me how we got out of it. Um, you know, just speaking to, um, I started speaking to a therapist, um, which was just amazing, you know, mm. to speak to somebody completely out of, because that's another thing you worry about is you start talking to someone mm. and then, you know, you, there's vulnerability that maybe you've done something that's going to, mm. whatever. But yeah. so speaking to someone with anonymity that you can do, you just sort of like, you can let everything out and there's no, no judgment. There's, you know, no risk of you being, um, like you know, accountable. no, I'm not accountable, but like being, you know, judged, judged, yeah, put um, aside, yeah, that sort of thing, yeah. Um, so lucky you had the right mate. I mean, we've all got mates, and yeah, you know. So what what is your advice? So if you if you're lucky enough to have a mate that you can call, like if you get to these spots, and you know, I think people do, and I think a lot of people, more people do who are not brave enough to admit it and may have got through it without ever talking about it. And there's obviously lots that have never got through it and the, and the, and the disaster of suicide has happened. And it's an absolutely horrible yeah. uh, thing to to uh, obviously be left with. Um, yeah, we, we, we had one like three weeks ago, a friend of both Scarlet and I's. And um, it's the most horrific thing that, yeah. you know, for the people left behind. Um, tell me, tell me, tell, let's, let's, um, let's, let's, you know, let's make sure that people know that this is normal because in the chefing game, it is ridiculously high pressure. It is a culture of ego. It is a culture of work your ass off forever. Tell me what I want to know what you would have done differently and what did you do? What would you have done differently if you could talk to your 17 year old self? Uh, and then what did you do? Um, so if I could speak to my 17-year-old self, I would have told him maybe just, you know, spend a bit more time for yourself. Like it's all good, like you're learning and you're trying to upskill yourself, but you also need to find things outside of cooking. 
because I mean, I remember like vividly when I had a bad day in those early days, I had nothing else that was fucking terrible. It was like the worst day in your life because you just don't have anything else. All your eggs are in that basket. Mm. And if it's shit, it's really shit. And then you just beer with the boys, you know, and then it's- Alcohol to disguise it. Yeah. Drugs to disguise it. Yeah. Four o'clock in the morning, you're going home, you've got like three hours sleep and then it compounds and the next day it's even worse. Mm. Um, I think with, I, I don't know, I guess like luck probably doesn't have anything to do with it, but I sort of started to find things- for myself that empowered me to move away from those things that made it worse. So like, you know, the vicious cycle of had a bad day, drink, feel worse the next day, drink, Mm. you know, and then you're always sort of depleted, like even more so. So I started, pottery was one thing that was really good for me. Like it was just out of luck that I didn't think I was a good enough chef to win Electrolux. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to have something different by making my own plates. Mm. And then it just turned out to be another passion. Like it was really meditative. Um, you know, it also gave me the fact that I could design a, a dish from a piece of clay all the way up, which is a great thing to have as a mm. chef. Mm. Um, you know, you also have plates that no other chef can get because you're not going to sell them to him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, that you know, as a sort of thing, like I would not drink so heavily on my first like night going into days off because like it would just be shit if i was not able to be creative what about that friday it's friday for monday to friday people people get blind on friday oh yeah and then barely they have plans on so on monday like this weekend we're going for a bushwalk we're doing this we're going to take the dogs here we're going to do that friday night blind in bed all day saturday this is not me but you know oh there's me sometimes but um you know, that, that, that's kind of thing, the same with when you're a chef. Yeah. So, uh, so, you, so you, you broke that cycle? Yeah, I broke that cycle. I started um, exercising as well, which is really... So that's something else you tell your 17-year-old, yeah. make and sure then, you um, keep that up. Yeah, exercise. You know, just find things outside of cooking. Then I became addicted to exercise. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just an addictive guy, really? I've got an addictive personality, yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> so, and I just throw everything. If I do something, I have to throw everything at it. Okay. So, so that's how the Food for Thoughts dinners were born. Yeah, but, I mean, well, obviously you were doing pop-ups, but it, was this a different type of pop-up and that was to raise money for awareness for... Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of the things that I started to realize as I started talking about it is that no one knew that I was going through this. Mm. Like no one had a, like a, a, the slightest clue that I was struggling. Mm. Um, and then I also had not the slightest clue of all like the different help that was out there, the outlets, the, mm. you know, Beyond Blue Anonymous, like helplines, all this sort of stuff. Like there's so much now, like you can... You can know you can text someone now because that's the mm. age that we're in. It feels easier just to have you know a text conversation mm. with someone. Um, but yeah, I was not aware. Like I was so caught in this this trap that I didn't see all this help. So I was like, well, if this is here and I couldn't see it, like how do we you know how do we get people talking about this? How do we how do we tell them that you know someone who might not see it? How do we get get to them? Like especially in the chefing industry, how so- do we make noise? Yeah, so so you were raising. Tell me about those three or four charities that we just spoke about that actually do that again. That, so I mean, that people can go to for help because I just want to while we're here tell them about it. Yeah, so I mean, Lifeline and Beyond Blue have the um, text. Yeah, so like the text lines. I think they've got um, like online chats now. I think, uh, and then there's the the operators and stuff that do amazing work. Um, IOK is really pivotal in prevention and sort of. You know, starting that conversation before it 
you know, becomes a, mm. an issue, which is like a great, great initiative. So I, I ended up doing a lot of work with Lifeline and Are You Okay for, for Food for Thought when it was going. Um, but yeah, that sort of just all spiraled out of me giving, like it was able, I was able to give my mental health like a face and then I could actually like take it on and yeah, just focus on, like it was a little bit of a, a self thing that I could just focus on doing that while helping other people. And then it just became this, you know, the more I spoke about it, the more empowered I felt. And then, you know, if, if I can, like this podcast helps one person today, mm. that's enough for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that it- That too, and it one for me, one for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One yeah. for Scott, three. Yeah. <laughs> and that like, um, you know, like the emotions to come from telling my story can, you know, like, I haven't told it for a while and I'm quite calm and stuff. And depending on the day, like sometimes like I would cry. We appreciate if you would cry because it really gets good ratings <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'd get very aggressive as well. <laughs> oh, but, shit, like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But, it, I mean, and this is the thing, like I never went into any of these things that I did with cue cards or whatever because I just sort of felt that it took away from the, um, like the authenticity of it because – and that's why this is a bit muddled because I don't go in with cue cards either, and that's why our <laughs> yeah. stories bounced around. So I hope yeah, people. And Scarlett's not keeping us in check. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, um, mate. Well, that sounds like you've done some amazing. So did the, the, these dinners must be full on. You're trying to help other people. You're working. You're gonna. Did you become addicted to that and burn out again, or what? What happened? Um, Am I yeah. telling your story? Yeah, I'm a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in in the end, like so, like yeah, I have stopped doing them. Um, just because, yeah, it got it did get a bit too much for me, and it was probably again six months too late. Me really figuring out that I was struggling again, um, because yeah, when it did actually blow up, it was just you know requests left, right, and center, and then obviously me trying to help as many people as I could. I couldn't say no um, to my own detriment, and just sort of you know I was at one point I was like not home pretty much three weekends out of a month just flying out to try and do this and you know, on top of that working full time and that sort of stuff. So yeah, I did ha- have to sort of, I've had to, yeah, take a bit of a break from that now. And I mean, it's a very different landscape to what it was when I did the last one in, mm. I think 2019. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just sort of, I don't feel super comfortable trying to do that style of event anymore where I'm like, relying on the donations of all these amazing yeah. suppliers over the course of the year and trying to pull that together. I feel like the industry needs a bit, you know. I think you give it a push in the right direction and, you know, it is up to us to do things like what we're doing right now. Yeah. There's, there's other ways of making awareness that don't actually put, you know, a big ton of pressure back on you. And I think we all need to little lead by example. And me as a boss of my company, you know, like, I've got guys because of the whole unemployment sort of situation where there's not a lot of workers out there that are under a little bit more pressure than they would normally like to be. And that, that kills me inside to, yeah. to know that that's happening. And I think that there's a lot of people out there right now because of the same reasons that restaurants and cafes can't get chefs, can't get waiters. You know, it must be a lot of pressure on everyone. But I think everyone, if we could just check in and, and if you're going to a restaurant, give everyone a bit of a break because, you know, um, there's a lot of industries really struggling out there and they would be putting themselves under pressure. So... Um, thank you for, you know, talking about it and, and making sure that um, and um, helping, hopefully, like you said, we can help somebody. But now you have 
the funniest baby ever, uh, <laughs> Sonny, laughing in that pram. I tell you what, how could you ever? Like now, you just have that on speed dial somewhere. You just laugh that. That yeah. should be your ringtone, man. That is the funniest shit <laughs> ever. And I know that a lot of parents have that in their babies. And uh, obviously, you know, like Scarlett was my baby. She used to laugh like that and her brother. But um, yeah, like that. That must bring you loads of joy. You've got a beautiful wife and um, and and a greyhound, I believe. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's know. my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> it is too. Yeah, same <laughs> nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Prepared to be abused, runs after <laughs> yeah. rabbits and kills them. Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, what's what's happening now? What, what what's the future, and how are you going to prevent that in 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 coming up again? Um, I think just by you know, I have to be, you know, putting myself first in order to help anyone. So, just being really conscious, like I've. Even to like refire up the pop ups, I've just taken my time to get myself back on track. Yeah, um, yeah, just because like, and I'm being very protective of myself now. Um, just because I know that there's too much at risk. You mm. know, I can't go into one of these dark, dark places again mm. with you know my beautiful wife and now like Sunny, and then you know, even just thinking about it, there's so many people out there that like I love. You know, and. Um, you get to a point and you, you know, you sit there and you, you know, nowadays when you, the older you get, I feel like since I've hit 30 every year is like three months, <laughs> just go so fast now. And you're yeah, just yeah. like thinking about all these people and it's just like, well, you know, I have to do this for myself, but I also like, I don't want to miss out on anything with any of these people. Like, and the thought of that is just like, it's a big driver. It's like mm. keeping me inspired to. You know, just be the best person that I can be. Mm. So to wind up with your wonderful advice on what's what's going on a billboard for you right now? I'm driving along. What could you put on a billboard for me? What could I put on a billboard? Yeah, what would you like to say if I was driving past? You could just put anything up there. <laughs> well, it'd just be like smashing out about these pop-ups. Um, that we're doing. <laughs> no, no, not that. That's oh. a course. Tell me your thought. You know, tell me something awesome that you would like to tell the world about work-life balance, or, oh, work or go home with your dog, or walk your dog today, or um, stop working so hard. Um, yeah, I guess it's just keep everything in balance. Yeah. Um, because you know you're no good to helping anyone. Like if you're running yourself into the ground as a boss, trying to protect everybody, and you're trying to do everything yourself, then you're going to be no good to help the staff and see them when they need help. And you know what? It's weirdly, we get this message every time we get on an airplane. Put your own gas mask on before assisting others. Yeah. Yeah. It's not oxygen mask. Sorry, not gas. (laughs) (laughs) The NOS. Put the NOS on. (laughs) So, you you know, people will listen to this podcast down the track, I'm sure. So uh, the event may well be gone for Sunday. Um, But you will continue to do them every now and again. Is that what you're doing? A bit of baking with Jocelyn. I mean, you got. Let me just touch on things. You did a heap of that stuff at Agnes when they did the pop up. You you know how to cook pastry because that stuff had to line up around the mall. Oh, the the bread side of things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The bread. Okay. And you're doing bread and stuff with um, Jocelyn right now. And um, uh, so that's where you are with a couple of pop ups, a bit of clay, coming out to see us at the market every now and again. Yeah. Well, and that, that's where you're at right now and just yeah. inspiring people playing with a bit podcasts. of cricket yeah. you know, taking a bit of time for myself on your bike yesterday the, yeah on my bike yesterday um, I've got a few big rides coming up I'm doing like the tour to Brisbane and stuff for like some of those big charity rides the MS ride yeah that's in like two weeks so it'll be like a 130k ride <laughs> <laughs> which I haven't been practicing for so. good but yeah I mean and you don't have to win you know that <laughs> well there's no chance in that <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just hoping to finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So where can people find you? Where can we get inspired by you? What's your Instagram? Uh, it's just Mal Mears mm-hmm. or the um, the food wine pop up one. Okay. So that's we're going to be trying to link a heap of stuff through that. Soon. So the food wine pop up is the name of the Instagram. Yeah. So and that's for the the any given Sunday. So that's sort yep. of what we've. That's what you're doing. Well, we've with worked tabs it under, around. yeah, yeah, tabs, okay. yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. So, well, well, we will we'll put this out as soon as we can um, edit it and get it back. I mean, when I say edit it, just clear up the volume, but uh, and put and put it out. So, it probably will come out Friday, and if it does, we'll, we'll let the, let the people know, and we'll we'll work in with that afterwards. But yeah, mate, you are you've got an incredible credible story, and um, I admire your courage to even talk about some of these topics because uh, people wouldn't. So know that that takes a bit of courage to, you know, it's not a fault, but just talk about things that are seen as a fault. Yeah. And uh, and and make people feel comfortable and okay with talking about it because there's lots of people who don't. And I urge all of my friends and all of your friends and everyone listening that if there is a problem, you call a, call a good mate and get some help through those groups that you spoke about. Uh, Lifeline... Beyond Blue. Beyond Blue, are you okay? Um, yeah, mate, I, I wish you all the luck and look forward. To, I'm going to talk to you again in a year or so and, yeah. and check in where, where you're at. And, um, yeah, keep on cooking. <laughs> Always. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Cheers, mate. Thank you. If this podcast has hit an emotional call with you, please reach out to Lifeline on 13 11 14 or check out Are You Okay or Beyond Blue. They are all there to help you and they will get you through.